Better Call Saul, Season 1, Episode 9, Pimento, is over, but we're just getting started here on Better Call Saul Live on PostShowRecaps.com. And now, here are the two guys who are going to Aaron Brockovich, the S out of this episode. I'm Rob Sestrero. Here's Antonio. Antonio, how are you? Rob, I'm a chimp with a machine gun. I'm ready to rock. Yes, we are ready to talk about a uh, very exciting episode of Better Call Saul, and this was a night where things really started to uh, unfold in a negative way. He was up last week for Jimmy, and now Jimmy is slipping back down. Poor slipping Jimmy. Poor, poor, poor slipping Jimmy. Slipping all the way back down. But you know what? At least he doesn't have to buy bacon anymore. Yeah, that's it. He could take that off the shopping list. And ice? Yeah, no more ice, no more bacon, no more of those steaks that Chuck likes, no more grounding himself. He's ungrounded, Rob. This is fantastic. Yeah, no more space blankets. So all that is going to be the case as Jimmy walks out of Chuck's life, seemingly for good, but we'll see, after it turned out that Chuck was like the uh, Brutus to his Julius Caesar. Yes, at two Chuck A. <laughs> to Chuck A. A two squiggy. And so, or, or is he Lenny? I think he's more, I think he's, I think he's Lenny actually. Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah, anyway, no, it's okay. It's, it's close. Good yeah. cut either way. So uh, a lot to talk about here. Of course, uh, great Mike stuff as per usual, as we expect from Mike on Better Call Saul. Yeah. The more Mike we can get uh, in these little one-off Mike missions, if you will. It's funny because he's working with a character who's on Grand Theft Auto. Uh, these are missions that Mike is running. And I like knowing, I like knowing how Mike was Batman. I like knowing that Mike really has done a ton of homework on a lot of these things where we've just assumed that Mike was so great. A lot of it's preparation. I like knowing that Mike is the hardest working man in the protection business. Yeah. GTA Ermintrout. GTA Albuquerque. Mike City. Yeah. Mike City. Yeah. Grand Theft Auto Mike City. All right. So a lot to talk about here tonight as we are one week away from the Better Call Saul finale. We have got the chat room open on postshowrecaps.com. We're taking your tweets with the hashtag PS Recaps and also on our YouTube channel at postshowrecaps.com slash YouTube. Uh, very excited. I can't believe that the season's almost over. I really do feel like we just started this. Well, I mean, it's kind of a shorter season with the 10 episodes, but uh, but we're we're really getting a lot of O's at the end of these things. So we're running out of time here. We got we got only so many words end in O, Rob. I mean, how many episodes could we have? Hundreds? Thousands? I don't know. Yeah. I think Antonio should be an episode. I'm waiting. I am with bated breath. Okay. Uh, what did you bring tonight? What do you bring? What did I bring? Oh, yeah, well, what are you packing? exactly what you want rob i got uh i got a couple guns that i'll tell you about and then a couple more maybe that uh that you didn't that you know that you're just gonna have to find i don't know what about you what did you bring oh i just had a sandwich i thought we were just bringing uh lunch oh, i significantly overestimated the situation <laughs> i apologize i'm used to podcasting with guns in my pocket yes yes uh what do you think are you, you're a uh a gourmet antonio what do you think of a pimento sandwich is that a, a little bit of a reach for mike it's the caviar of the South. I, what I like is the continuity of it. I believe there's a time in Breaking Bad when Mike offers Jesse a pimento sandwich. Uh, so Mike is a pimento man through and through, and I, I respect that. I don't know. It's, uh, I'm not a pimento man myself. Are you a pimento man? No, I don't think I've ever had it, and I don't have any desire to. <laughs> if, you're, uh, if you're rolling up on a steakout, what are you bringing with you, Rob? Um, I am going to bring a steak um. You're going to bring all oh, these other guys to Steakums. Yeah, you're going to bring Steakums with you. I got yes. it. That's fine. Yeah, that, that's not a bad plan. Steakums, uh, America's favorite uh, frozen steak product. So I think <laughs> you're good to go. That's what I'm bringing. 
Yeah. That's what I'm going <laughs> to bring up. All right. Well, let's talk about the top story at this hour. So Jimmy discovers what was going on uh, with Chuck. Now, was this a big reveal to us, the audience? Our, you know, we see Chuck get on the phone. We see Chuck dial. Uh, he says, it's me. And then, of course, uh, Hamlin turns Jimmy away at the law office. Was that meant to be a surprise that it was Chuck? I mean, for a guy who's afraid of electricity, uh, they sure telegraphed the hell out of uh, Chuck's uh, ultimate turn here, didn't they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and uh, there, look, there were these closed doors at HHM where Hamlin tells Kim, like, wait a minute, come on, come on back. I got I to gotta talk to you. I got to tell you. But I'm not going to tell the audience. Shut that door. And uh, there were a couple instances like that. When Chuck makes the phone call, we go to commercial right after he makes the phone call. So we don't ultimately see who it is. And just a, so many moments like that. It's like, okay, this is so this is so telegraphed and so obvious. That said, it was pretty impactful stuff. Even though I expected yeah. it to happen, it was a really well-played scene that, that ultimately we got out of it. Yeah, you know what I felt to be more impactful was not so much that Chuck was responsible for what Hamlin ultimately did this week, but the fact that it was Chuck that was responsible for um, Jimmy getting kicked out of the mailroom in the episode, I guess it was last week's flashback. The fact that that was Chuck going all the way back to that, that one almost hurt more. Yeah. And I, I'm kudos to Jimmy for putting that together because we kind of speculated about that last week when we saw Chuck's reaction, when Jimmy kind of went behind his back and told him that he'd taken the bar and done all those things. We, we sort of speculated like Chuck really did not seem that happy about what happened. And that said, I think all season long, Hamlin's been positioned as this sort of horrible guy, but it seems like for a really long time, he's just been carrying water for Chuck. Mm. So is Chuck a villain? Or that is, is Chuck actually the person who is standing up for the right side of the law? Well, I don't know about the right side of the law part because I feel like everybody should get a second chance. And there are the the annals of history are littered with people who received their law degree while they were in jail, got out and got exonerated or got off paper uh, and were able to be admitted to a bar. And that, that people deserve a second chance. And people are not the people. People might have instincts and things deep inside them. There's so many rotten lawyers out there, Rob. There's rotten people in every profession, as Mike pointed out in the episode tonight. So it's just a matter of like, you're a lawyer. So will you be a good person or a bad person? The unfortunate thing about this is throughout the season, Jimmy has shown Chuck nothing, but Jimmy actually, uh, hey, look, I'm, I'm doing elder law. Like I'm, I, I'm trying to, to find my way. And yeah, I'm doing a little slipping Jimmy stuff here or there, but it's ultimately we've seen Jimmy do a lot of decent things uh, and make the right call. So I think Chuck's wrong about this. Does that make Chuck a villain? I don't know. Do you buy his sort of jealousy and his sort of anger or is that really misplaced? And is he villainous for it? Yeah. I mean, I think that Jimmy has made every single overture to be on the straight and narrow and do the right thing. And he's followed Chuck's advice all season long. And I think that Chuck is being very petty about all of this that he doesn't want Jimmy to be a part of it. I mean, this was Jimmy that found this case and for him to not even give his brother the benefit of the doubt, that is uh, particularly hurtful. I think that's right. Uh, and I think that that's, 
it's not it's not ultimately in keeping with with the sort of principles that people who really do seek to uphold the law uh it's not in keeping with those principles so fairness equality justice it's not just to hold jimmy responsible for things he did five six seven eight ten years ago and pretend that he can never change who he is on the outside inside it's not fair to jimmy all those principles that chuck stands as sort of a white knight in defense of it really is none of those things to treat jimmy the way he does so uh, ultimately he is villainous for it uh, but it's funny on the on the amc story sync app tonight they said there was just a question you know that you answer to determine whatever and it said uh, chuck is he like an a-hole but he's kind or is he kind of right uh and i i think that you know people could side either way really because we do know who who jimmy mcgill is on the inside but Look! Look what made him uh, Saul Goodman. This is—he was going to be good and fight for, fight for right, and then his brother pushed him away. So no wonder he becomes Saul Goodman. Yeah. Sometimes on the story sync, they do like a thing where was the character right and justified, or right but not justified, or wrong but justified, or uh, wrong, wrong and, and unjustified. Like they'll like they'll put it like in a square of like uh, what, what you know what we uh, know and what we uh, you know. Anyway, so we could do a whole podcast on story sync on AMC. Uh, I can't wait for Mad Men story sync this week. <laughs> is that is that going to happen? I don't We're think have so. I don't think they let the guy, the story sync guy, see the Mad Men episode before it goes up. But anyway, <laughs> yes, he's not allowed. So, what do we think is going to happen with this case? Do you think that Jimmy is going to go ahead and blow this up? Because we can assume that in the future, in the Better Call Saul universe that Jimmy is not cashed in on that 20% of this case, right? Right. I mean, we certainly haven't seen it. So who knows if the case does get blown up, if it settles for a lot lower amount, if HHM kind of backs out of the deal or finds a way to screw him, uh, or how bad things truly get between he and Chuck going forward. Uh, but it is, I mean, I, I think he is going to take the deal, and I think he is going to use some of that money to get set up in a different spot and, and get out of the get out of the spot he's in right now. And I think, we're going to see a different Jimmy McGill season two. I think he's going to go to a dark place here because Chuck was sort of his, like his, his guide, his signpost. Like Chuck was the guy he idolized and wanted to be like, and for Chuck to turn his back on him, I, I don't think Jimmy's going to have that much respect for the law anymore. So we'll see how quickly that spirals out of control and what that, what impact that has on this case. But I do think it's fair to say he hasn't received a very big payout on this case. That's for sure. So what I think is now a suddenly interesting question with the sudden resurgence of Chuck that by the time we get to the Breaking Bad universe, the start of Breaking Bad and the start of at least the appearance of of Saul, Chuck isn't in the picture. And I think that we all assumed, okay, well, whatever this illness, eventually Chuck is going to die and then we're going to move on from there. But all of a sudden Chuck is doing better. So... What do you think is going to happen with Chuck between now and when we see Jimmy slash Saul on Breaking Bad? Well, if I had to put money on it, I'd say that uh, some bad, bad things could happen to Chuck due to what Jimmy gets wrapped up in. Uh, That maybe Chuck could be a sort of bystander or an innocent victim in some sort of scheme that Jimmy gets wrapped up in. I feel like that might be the ultimate poetry uh, is that Chuck driving Jimmy to wrong is ultimately what gets Chuck in a very bad spot. I feel like that would be a sort of uh, perfectly uh, pitched kind of thing. 
Uh, that said, I, I mean, I don't know what could happen to Chuck. We, For all we know, even though we didn't see Chuck in the universe of Breaking Bad, he could still be around. I, I don't think that he is, uh, but I don't think we have a confirmed dead. I don't think we saw his body on the screen. Uh, so he could he could pop up uh, within that the context of that timeline somehow. Uh, it's it's really hard to say. I mean, Jimmy has left the McGill name behind at that point, so he really has no association with Chuck. But that doesn't mean Chuck's not still around. Interesting. So we'll see. I think we we just all just took it for granted that Chuck was just going to die of his disease. Yeah, and or some get, complication of you know whatever was going on with him. We're going to get some kind of evolved Chuck that's angry and. It's bitter and a little bit jealous uh, and sort of coming back into form here at HHM and feeling like he needs to be fanned and worshipped. And and I don't know, that could be a that could be an ugly Chuck. We could really see a lot of ugliness come out of Michael McKean here. Well, I saw some tonight, that's for sure. And so do you think that Jimmy spends the next week of trying to ruin the case? I don't know. It's uh, it's possible, right? We've seen we've seen that lawyer pop up on the other side, uh, and he's kind of memorable. Uh, he seems like the kind of guy that, if Jimmy sort of went to him with uh, with some good information, he might find a way to use it. Uh, they're already playing some sort of lawyer tricks here with all the discovery and and, and all that. So it's entirely possible that uh, that Jimmy gets involved with him. I don't think that it will happen, but that doesn't mean that it won't. Antonio, let me ask you a couple of legal questions tonight. Uh, we saw the scene where all the paperwork is getting dropped off at Chuck's house. How common is that in a legal case where one side just floods the other person's office with all the files? It can be fairly common. That said, it didn't strike me as any as really accurate uh, from a timing standpoint. I just... What Chuck was describing uh, didn't, I, I don't know. They may have named a whole bunch of plaintiffs and there may have been a lot more uh, people involved than I thought, but it just didn't seem like there would be that many bankers boxes worth of material coming from the defense side so quickly uh, in a case where they were fighting. In, in a typical situation like this, uh, the plaintiffs are going to ask for a lot from the defendants and the defendants will probably fight if they want to be uh, very kind of adversarial about it. They'll fight everything from who, what, what kind of sources of data are going to be relevant to who should produce the data, um, to what data should be produced. They'll fight every single bit of that tooth and nail. That whole process can take years before a single document is sent to the other side. So it didn't strike me as relatively accurate. That said, the profession that I work in, we manage these really large scale lawsuits. And I'll tell you um, that we deal with just millions upon millions upon millions of documents. Uh, so that absolutely does happen. Now, as far as the deal that Jimmy gets from Hamlin of 20% of the ultimate result of the case and then uh, $20,000 up front, was that a fair deal in your mind? Yeah, it struck me as pretty fair. The, the downside to that, of course, is that Jimmy has really no control over what's going to ultimately be in that common pool that all the people that are involved in the case kind of have to be paid from. So with Jimmy having no real control over that, uh, I do think that it's difficult to it's not the best deal for Jimmy because he doesn't really get in a position to have any kind of say on whether or not he's going to get his money or not. But a large chunk of that, I mean, look, Chuck proposed, what, 20 million last week. So let's say they settle it for 15 million and Jimmy gets some 20 or 30 percent, I think, was of that. Or was it 20 percent? I think it was 20 percent of the final pool and then 20K up front. Yeah, so if he gets 20% of $15 million, he's making $3 million for doing nothing. 
Uh, and that's not a bad deal at the end of the day. That's $3 million for just bringing it in the door. And could he have gotten more money? I think so. I mean, I think he could have gotten more if he takes a really active role in the case. But he was okay with that deal, and he was okay with the twenty k. Where he got upset, of course, was that he wasn't getting any kind of say in uh, the case throughout, and he wasn't going to get an actual job out of this. And I think that was the really frustrating part for him. Were you surprised how much Kim went to bat for uh, Jimmy in this episode? I wasn't surprised. I think that that was the sort of culmination of what we've been seeing between them, uh, sort of throughout. So I thought that that was fair, uh, and I actually kind of, uh, I actually kind of appreciated to seeing Kim do that. I thought that that. I thought that that was well-earned. I thought that the connection that we've seen throughout uh, between the two of them was good. I think she knows that Jimmy helped bring the Kettleman's back to her. So fair is fair. Uh, and I think that that was, I think that that was appropriate. Were you surprised by that? I mean, I, I felt like that was pretty well-earned throughout what we've seen so far. I was a little surprised, pleasantly surprised, but I was a little surprised that she went into Hamlin's office. I mean, I have to imagine that has to be what she predicted was going to happen, right? Yeah, I think so. But on the other hand, she ultimately, I, I mean, it, it certainly appears as though, uh, as though Hamlin ultimately told her exactly why he was doing what he was doing. Didn't, isn't that the read that you got? That it was Chuck? Yes, I think that Hamlin did tell her that. Hmm. That's when he says, come in and close the door, I think he's ultimately like, look, I got to be honest with her here. And that's why she comes to Jimmy and says, I think you should take the deal. Interesting. Um, I didn't put that together, but I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, I I think that Hamlin has to play the bad guy here in a lot of instances, and I'm not going to defend the guy because he, his delivery and how cold and chilling he is with what he says. It seems to be that he feels it, but he is, like I said, Jimmy's carrying ice for Chuck, but Hamlin's carrying all the water. Whoa. That is, yeah, that is absolutely what's happening. Like, he really is doing, and he seems to have been for a long time, he's doing Chuck's dirty work with regard to Jimmy. Uh, and I think that deep down, he doesn't, he doesn't have the big problem with Jimmy. It's Chuck that has the problem. And he, he feels the need to tell Kim that in that scene. I think that's why he tells her to come in and close the door. And then that's why we see Kim really say, Jimmy, take the deal, take the deal. So she did ultimately, I think, win some respect, or at least he understood where she was coming from because it seems such a cold-hearted thing without that explanation. All right, let's talk about the mic stuff because I think even though overall I thought it was a great episode, I feel like the mic stuff really did steal the show tonight. Yeah, and I tell you, I wonder until Mike and and Chuck or Mike and Jimmy really get together, I wonder, don't don't you think that's almost always going to be the case? I mean, it's shorter, but it's so good. It, the Mike stuff has been so great this season. And, and I do feel like I think that that has probably been the best part of Better Call Saul season one. Yeah, I think so, too. Mike's and the I, and MVP. I, spoiler. Mike Valuable Player? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't, Most I know Valuable Pimento. <laughs> most valuable philadelphian i uh i do think that there is uh it's not surprising right like mike became a fan favorite on breaking bad and we didn't get probably as much mike as we would have liked to have gotten everything we got from mike was great it was gold uh and just seeing his reactions to walter throughout were fantastic but we really i mean we did not reach peak mike in breaking bad we did not wear this guy out and yeah. so getting any more than we got in the past is always a treat whether it's scenes tonight with those two dopes in the parking garage 
um, or just the way he handled the scene uh, with the actual deal. I mean, this is peak Mike and, and any Mike we get, we're going to love, I think. Yeah, he really was almost like a three act play in itself. Like we had like the first act of here's Mike back from the veterinarian talking uh, with his daughter-in-law about, you know, um, that she should, get, you know, have have the dog and just establishing that he went to go see the vet. You know, act two is Mike in the parking garage with the uh, with that guy. And then, the, you know, first, like, uh, basically, like, the mountain from Game of Thrones shows up, and he's next to Mike, and then this <laughs> other guy shows up. Um, this other guy was great, too. Yeah, this guy's name was Sobchak, which I, I don't know if that was a uh, a reference to Walter Sobchak in the Big Lebowski, the John Goodman role, but it's a very similar sort of kind of crazy vigilante, kind of like uh, combat boots wearing loud mouth, kind of big game talking guy. Uh, and, and, and you got Andrew Whitworth looking guy from the Bengals over there. Uh, kind of, I love that shot where Mike is in the shot and you just see the guy's torso and not his head. Yeah. It's fantastic stuff. That was a great scene. Mike couldn't have been more different than either of those two guys. And yet he was clearly, uh, the baddest dude in the room. For it sure. was great. And yeah. then they get into talking about who has guns. And I'll tell you about the two guns that I, that I like, I'll let you know about. And that's not even all of my guns. And the other guy has guns. And, you know, Mike is just talking about his sandwich. Okay, so here comes the guy, Price. Uh, Antonio, you like this guy? He's pretty well cast. I mean, I, I what did you think we were going to get into with this guy? Did you think it was going to be a drug deal or did you think it was going to be something else? I don't know. When they talked about personal protection, I thought they were talking about like a bodyguard, like um, not just for like a one, like, you know, a one-off type job. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought that this was going to be... Somebody who, I don't know, had some weird personal thing where they felt like they needed protection or uh, they really wanted to roll deep into something. I didn't think this was just going to be a run of the mill, uh, breaking bad kind of abandoned shipyard drug deal. But that's exactly what it was. Okay, so when Price shows up, he tells everybody that they could use whatever name they want. And Soap Dish, am I getting that right? Soap Check. Soap Check. Soap Check. Soap Check. That he ends up saying that, hey, this guy doesn't have a gun. Why don't you give me and uh, the mountain seven fifty, and then uh, we'll do the job. And so he says, Mike says, uh, if I need a gun, I'll just take one of yours. And then they get into this confrontation. Did you know exactly how this was going to go? I did. Mike is the hound in this scenario. Like mm -hmm. just Mike has zero F's given. Like Mike is just ready to rumble. And you had to know how that was going to go down. One guy shows up. He's big, but that's all he is. Another guy shows up, look like he's dressed for the part, but literally looking like he's dressed for the part. And Mike shows up with a sack lunch and his hands behind his back and patiently waits. Yeah. Um, you had to know the guy that's quiet and the older guy, he's seen some S. So he's ready to throw down at a moment's notice. And that was that was so beautiful. That was so, so beautiful. Have you ever heard the phrase Billy Jackoff before? <laughs> <laughs> not until tonight, but I will use it anytime. My mom loves those Billy Jack movies. I, anytime she ever brings them up again, that's what's going to come out of my mouth. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, I probably use um, So then after, you know, Mike sort of like uh, hits this guy in the windpipe and he's like on the ground gasping for air. I mean, he just takes his time going through those guns like that. That was just a delicious scene to be watching. It was almost like a pimento sandwich. It was so wonderful. <laughs> How would you know? You what a delicacy. What a delicacy when Mike's going through the guns. He's like, oh, what about this one? Yeah. yeah you, you look like the kind of guy that would have an ankle holster. Yes. Oh, look at that. What does that yeah, mean? That what great. does that mean? 
I <laughs> so he means exactly what he said. That yeah. that guy looked like the kind of guy that would have an ankle holster. How great is it when the other guy runs away? That's fantastic. <laughs> Mike's like, "Hey, do you want one?" And the guy just looks at him and just turns tail and runs away. That right. giant man running away. Um, fantastic. All right. So, soap check. Do you think we're going to see him again? I don't think so. I mean, I think this one is off. soap check's kind of. Uh, although he referred to the vet, like he referred to the guy. So I, I do want to hear the sort of fallout uh, when Mike meets the vet again. That's the next Mike prequel. Goes, Mike goes to the vet. Mike, Mike the Mike and the vet. Yes. Just the vet. Yes. Better call the vet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Vet peeves. That's the name of the, the <laughs> better peeves. call Saul prequel. Yeah. I like, I just, I want to see Mike go back to this guy and this guy be like, look, man, like, why did you have to rough the guys up? Like I sent you out there with two other guys. I, I, I wasn't sure this is the first job you work for me. You hit one guy in the throat. You make the other guy run away in fear. Uh, I mean, what am I, what, what am I dealing with here? It's how long before Mike really gets away from the vet entirely. And it's just got his own thing. Cause He's really obviously the, the the guys that the vet sent besides Mike were just not cut out for this. Well, that's the thing about hiring temps, right? Where eventually, then you just like either just work with them directly. Yeah, I think that's right. I think if you're a good enough temp, you cut out the middleman, and then you're you're good. You cut out the vet. Yeah, and all you get from the temp agency are people that are just aren't good enough to get you know picked off by anybody. Yeah, you're just burning through these. Uh, these retreads. So soap check's going to turn up. Maybe not, maybe not a vet next time. I don't know. Where's he go next? Like a, the little clinic, like some kind of weird little, uh, something inside like a grocery store out there in New Mexico, like a Smith's, like, uh, just one of those in-store clinics. And, uh, in that little clinic there, he gets a little tip from the, uh, not the nurse that works there, not the nurse practitioner, but the person working at the front desk, like that's, who's going to give soap check his next job. I also hope that we, I haven't offended any temps tonight. Well, I was trying to clean that up because I wanted to offend some nurses. So <laughs> hope I didn't hit a little too close to home with that. So Mike gets in the car and uh, he takes the full fifteen hundred uh, from Price. Yeah, just uh, the the price is the price is fifteen hundred, and that's what it is. The price is right. Yes. Uh, by the way, I, I watch with the closed captioning on. That's Price P R Y C E. Oh, what does the Y stand for? I wonder. I don't know. I don't know. But it's not P R I C E. P R Y C E. All right. So. Then we get the final part of this, uh, you know, amazing three act play with Mike. And now they're talking with uh, prices selling. Okay, what should we do when the guy comes? And then he's like going on and on. And this was a little bit shades of Walter White with uh, Mike Ermitra. This was almost like a almost if Walter White from season one started working with Mike. I think that's right. I think. This is a guy who they said is green. Price has not really been in the game. This is his first deal. Uh, so, yeah, this is like early on season one, Walter White. just kind of dipping his feet in the water, not entirely sure of how to move product. But, I mean, Walter White had some real darkness in him, uh, and it was fulminated mercury within a couple of episodes. I don't think we'd see Price going on a similar trajectory. Mm. And so... We tells him, Mike tells him, okay, count the money. Let's talk. This is the better. And then after you count the money, give him the pills. So we see that the person who shows up is Nacho. Were you pumped up to see a Nacho return? I was, weren't you? I was because I felt like he was introduced and then I felt like that didn't really go anywhere. Yeah, this guy's getting the Michael Mando. The guy who plays him is getting name recognition. He's getting like, you know, he's in the credits. Like he's a guy that's on this show, but we really haven't seen enough Nacho. So he will come back uh, into Saul's universe. And, I don't know. Maybe maybe Mike will be the one to bridge the gap there. Maybe there's going to be a Mike connection 
uh, now that we've seen that kind of play out, that could be taken uh, taken advantage of for sure. I'll tell you one other thing. Nacho is a good looking man. You like the way the Nacho looks. I think Nacho is a good looking guy. All right. I like I like my nachos. I like yes. nachos. Look at me. I love nachos. Now, can you tell me how the hell was Price able to count the money that fast and realize that they're $20 off and not like do a second recount and make sure that he didn't accidentally have an accounting mistake? Yeah, I think that that was uh, I think that that was on purpose, right? I think that it was just kind of like I skimmed through it. I'm not sure he was $20 light. Nacho was kind of like, are we going to blow this deal over 20? And that's when Mike, instead of saying, hey, recount it, you know, look again. Mike was like, are you going to blow this deal over $20? Yeah. And then Nacho was like, yeah, yeah I'll give you the $20. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't think we needed a recount there. The whole point of that that count was it doesn't matter how fast he counted it. Mike wants an extra 20 bucks, So pay up, Nacho. Yeah, Mike's line, which was great, was just, are you? <laughs> are you? Yeah, that's pretty good. It's pretty solid stuff from Mike. Mike doesn't, doesn't have to say a whole lot. Yeah, he follows his own advice of the less talking, the better. Yeah, and he, I really like that he sort of uh, just kind of put himself out there, stood right in front. It's a three-man job. Price is all worried when they roll up in the Dr. Pepper van or whatever that was. Uh, but Mike is just standing out there. He's done his homework, so he knows, like, this one's probably not going to go awry here, and I can probably shake this guy down for another 20 bucks. Yeah, is that what that was? It was just a shakedown for the 20 bucks? I don't know if it was a shakedown, but I think it was a little bit of a power play. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And I, and I got to think that Mike won a lot more than $20 worth of respect from Nacho in that moment. I don't know. That, that just struck me as the kind of thing where, where Mike, uh, Mike has a certain gravitas, and it's almost impossible for that not to come across in that, in that sort of encounter. So I thought that that was a $20 well spent on, on Nacho's part to kind of uh, have the kind of interaction that he had with Mike. I think it's going to lead to some good stuff for, for Nacho and Mike both. Well, and finally, you know, Price asked Mike the question that we're probably all asking, you know, how did you know not to bring a gun? And Mike reveals that he did the research on Nacho and how Nacho doesn't want any trouble. And we get this really interesting dialogue about how Price is a criminal and he's offended by that. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm not a criminal. Yeah, I'm not a bad guy. He said, well, I didn't say you were a bad guy, but, uh, you know, and then he goes into this great speech. I really like that scene for a couple reasons. One, if you'll remember when Mike sort of called Jimmy to do the bump and dump uh, earlier this season, Jimmy's coming outside and he's asking, like, how did you know? Same question. He asked Mike, how did you know that I would do what you were asking? And Mike just kind of laughed it off. And it made me wonder, like, did Mike, had Mike already done his homework on Jimmy McGill at that point? Ooh. Like, He's not he's not the kind of guy he's going to encounter this guy a couple times. He's going to kind of it's like a cop. He's going to check his background. He's going to run a, a background check on this guy. And I wonder how much Mike knows about Jimmy McGill already um, because he called him and knew that he would do that. And maybe that scene was just like, dude, you can't hide who you are. I smell it on you a mile away. I like that scene almost better in that regard. But I also like the sort of parallel to this scene with Price where Price is like, how did you know? And then Mike tells him, I know because I did my homework. That's how. Uh, and I, I really do like this speech. I don't know. Didn't did you read the speech that Mike gives, where he's where he basically I think the end quote that he walks away with uh, is he says something to the effect of, um, "You're a criminal now, good one, bad one. That's up to you." Did you feel like Mike was sort of talking to himself there? That he was sort of monologuing to himself. That's interesting. Um, I feel like it's probably an important point thematically, but I think that Mike is probably 
and, and I, I like that you brought this up. I think that Mike looks at himself as probably a criminal, but a good guy. Yeah. And I, he's working for Kaylee already, right? Like that's what he's, Stacy kind of brought it up. Like he, he asked the vet kind of a little couple questions before and he stiffed that guy out and knew where he was, but he wasn't really working with him. But then as soon as Stacy said she needed more money for Kaylee, uh, then he's ready to call that vet again and go back to work. And from what we know about him as a cop, yeah, he got a little dirty as a cop, but I don't think he was a criminal. Uh, but then he went and killed those guys. And I think he, he, I think he felt like that was totally validated and that wasn't really a criminal act that that was fair. Uh, but now he's just merely a criminal. Is he a criminal for a good reason? Like you said, I think he thinks that, but he's a criminal now. Good one or bad one. It's up to him. But don't you think most criminals think that they're a criminal, but actually a good guy? I hope so, man. I mean, Walter uh, because, White certainly thought that he was a criminal, but was a good guy. Yeah, and and I I hope so. Like I, there's too many criminals out there, people that are doing criminal things to be to be labeled as a as a capital C criminal. I really hope that deep down, um, they they feel okay. I mean, a lot of times people are motivated to do really bad things for really difficult reasons, uh, and I hope at the end of the day they don't feel like. Uh, because they've done them. They're horrible, horrible people who will forever be, you know, branded uh, as such. I, I hope people feel like they have another opportunity to be a good guy. I hope Mike feels like he's got an opportunity to be a good guy. But we know where this story ends, Rob. Yes. With Mike being dead. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we know. We know exactly where this goes. So we know at the end of the day, he does some really bad stuff and gets involved in some really bad things. Uh, and at the end of the day, good guy or bad guy doesn't work out for him. And I got to feel like he could have made a different choice here in this very episode, never gotten involved with Price. And you do wonder if he would have ever ended where he ended. Uh, he could have stayed working in that toll booth forever. But what happens in between now and then? And specifically, where does this go in next week's finale? Because you have to imagine that Mike's and Jimmy's stories will intersect in the finale, right? I feel like it. Uh, I don't know that that to be true. Maybe Mike, um, maybe Jimmy gets caught up uh, with Nacho because Nacho's kind of left that hanging out there. So maybe Jimmy somehow gets caught up with Nacho and, and Mike is somewhere in the mix. Uh, and Mike is kind of the, the guy who talks Nacho out of really doing something bad to Jimmy. I don't know. I think that that's entirely possible. Um, but I do think their stories will intersect. I hope they will. I hope we haven't. I mean, I've loved their interactions this season so far. So I'd hate to escape this season without one more. But they've been so few and far between. I mean, there was the toll booth stuff. There was really, you know, the little bit of a hint on the going into the Kellerman's house or the Kellerman's house. Uh, and then there was, of course, um, the uh, what am I missing? The, the uh, bump and dump. I guess it's the, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, the old bump and dump. Yeah. So other than that, those brief interactions, there really hasn't been much. I feel like you got to get these guys a little closer heading into the next season. Yeah, I feel like um, I feel like we left it with the Kettleman's thing with Mike being like, we're square now. Uh, we're even for the bump and dump. I don't know how they come back together, but Mike is certainly ready. Uh, I think willing and able to do some dirty work. So Jimmy could go to a really dark place, a really, really dark place. Um, and really, I, I don't know where that could end up, but that could involve Mike somehow uh, relatively quickly with HHM, with Chuck, uh, things like that. That would be a really dark way to end the season. Wow. All right. Antonio, anything else from the episode? You want to jump into some questions? 
Uh, I'm trying to think. There might have been. There was maybe one more thing uh, that I wanted to uh, to ask you about. Um, what what do you what did you think about the ultimate uh, confrontation there between Jimmy and Chuck? Uh, did you feel like uh, the, the the did you feel like the setup there with the Nisha call with the missing call and all that? Did you feel like that was uh, that Jimmy that Jimmy was kind of figured that out or do you think he kind of suspected it all along or should have suspected it all along no i think he figured it out um i did think it was a little bit of a stretch that you know i know i always uh turn my phone off like i know i'm sure of a lot of things but you know i would sometimes remember you know like oh did like again i don't know how he's 100 percent certain he didn't turn his phone or uh, yeah. leave his phone on and then the fact that he called the phone company and the phone company said they had deleted call on the phone. Again, I thought that was a little bit of, of a stretch, but I guess he was so convinced of what was going on. I guess I just didn't understand. I, the way they showed that phone and they kept showing Jimmy thinking about his messages and the phone was dead. I just thought that the, the outgoing call was going to be there, not a deleted call. So I was kind of like, that seemed like a bridge too far for me that Chuck also thought to delete the call, knew to delete the call was cell phone savvy enough to see how that went. I just, I figured the outgoing call was going to be what burned him, not just this phone company thing. Uh, what about in the scene where Jimmy is really ripping Hamlin down in the boardroom? Did you catch that they censored uh, some much more profane words out of Jimmy's mouth? No, I did not. Oh yeah. So if you watch it again, or when you, when, if you ever pick it up again, uh, Jimmy calls him a, a, a something pig. Uh, and then his mouth finishes the word pig there. Uh, but his his word did not. So I think that Breaking Bad did that a couple times where Just they dropped drop out, out or sort yeah. of yeah they dropped out the words on the profanity uh, so they could air it later on Netflix or or in DVD or Blu-ray. So I think we'll see the full the full Jimmy McGill uh, the pig effer phrase there later on. I thought that was thought that was an interesting choice. Yeah. Um. That's all. I mean, that's all I really got. I've never you believe it or not, Rob. I've never seen Aaron Brockovich. Oh, <laughs> well, I believe that. I believe that. Um, did they, did they, were they, did you think they had stood a shot of Aaron Brockoviching the, the ass out of this? You know what? Um, I personally don't even really know what that means other than that Aaron Brockovich was a lawyer. Yeah, she was. She fought like for this environmental cause uh, and really took on the kind of told truth to power. And I know that that's a real story, but I don't know anything about about that. What did you think about the cold open? Isn't that the first cold open that we've seen? That isn't uh, that isn't like a time shifted cold open. This is the first one that was in real time. Interesting. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know what to make of that, but I mean, this was the first one. They were sitting on a bench looking at a uh, power line, you know, just kind of kicking it with the birds out there. I'm pretty sure this is the first one we've seen that isn't time shifted in some way. Yeah, that's an interesting point. What do you think of in the opening? Uh, what do we have? Yes. M matches in the urinal? Matches in a urinal literally getting peed on. Uh, so I thought that that was a real bad omen for Jimmy in this episode. And I think it proved to be true. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into some yep. questions here. Question. Of course, uh, hashtag PS recaps or at postshowrecaps.com slash YouTube. And uh, let's start off. Johnny DeSilvera, uh, postshow recaps tradition starts us off. Uh, do old people adore you, uh, Antonio? I do. Old, I, I, think old people, I think old people adore you, Rob. Do they do they adore me? I don't mm. know. Do they adore you? I think so. I think that for the most part, uh, the old uh, do like me. Uh, the young is really uh, where I have some problems connecting. 
Yeah, I my goal in life is to be very, very popular among the uh, the feline uh, people, the people that keep cats. Yes, I want to be popular among the cat people. So okay. as long as I'm popular among the cat people, I'm happy. All right, a- Antonio. What about uh, Jason Burning? What does he have to say? He says uh, Jason Burning, Darth Zeroni on Twitter says, "Not to beat the dead horse, but Mike is by far the best part of Better Call Saul." Do you think, Rob, that the this show is is in danger because of that, or is that just a really good feature of this show? No, I don't think it's in danger. I don't think they're going to change anything up. I mean, maybe you know they come into season two and say, "Boy, how do we get Mike more involved in the storyline?" But he's so good. They're underutilizing him uh, as of now. We can't get enough. And hopefully, you know, Mike becomes more of a co-lead on the show as opposed to, you know, a prominent supporting character. Yeah, I I think that's fair. And I think the real key to that and the real key to really making this show pop is going to is going to be bringing Mike and Jimmy's stories together for good. And I do think we're going to see that uh, sooner rather than later. And that that will be where this show really takes off and the A and the A story and the B story work together uh, to really pop. I think, I think we're going to get there. Okay. Uh, this is from Chris Berger who says, is Mike a good criminal or has he fallen into the Walter white rationalization hall? Um, I think that, you know, Mike is feels like that he is a criminal for the right reasons. He's trying to support his deceased uh, or his deceased son's family and so in his mind, I think that justifies what he's doing. So I think that he is a good criminal if there is such a thing. I mean, and really, I mean, what Mike has done so far on this show is we've seen him steal money that was already stolen from the public, uh, steal that back. And mm-hmm. then he basically provided cover for a guy, but was really just sort of like the muscle in a deal that went down. Yeah, and it was a deal where, I mean, look, that guy, Price, he's probably a pharmacist or uh, some kind of person who has access to controlled substances. And so he's probably stealing medicine from somebody. That's not to say that they won't make more, that anybody was affected by the crime. Um, But I don't know that it's purely a victimless crime. So somebody was harmed by that. And clearly those drugs are going to go to drug addicts and they're going to make their lives uh, a lot, a lot worse, uh, even if. They make them feel better in the moment. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Mike is participating in a, in a crime here. There's no doubt about it. But at the end of the day, I do think he's a good guy. But I do think the question from Chris is a good one because I think it speaks to kind of what we were talking about of whether Mike's monologue was really uh, an external monologue that was a vocalization of his internal monologue, sort of almost like an in-car soliloquy. Or if this is something that he was really just telling Price, like, this is something I've thought about and this is who you are. It's up to you. Uh, I think that 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 monologue from Mike is a is a really kind of telling character moment for sure. Okay, uh, let's keep going with Ian, who says, "How'd they do it in episode one? Better Call Saul writers managed to tie almost everything together. Uh, and sorry, in one episode. So, do you feel like uh, this was the case? Did they tie everything up here in one episode? I thought they did a pretty good job of it. Um, I I don't know. Uh, I don't know exactly whether they tied everything up. Like I said. Uh, Ian, I think this show is going to be at its best when we bring everybody together. Yeah. Um, I mean, as far as the Chuck storyline, we did get a lot of resolution on things or at least like things getting tied up. So uh, that was very good. But I don't think that there was anything where your mind was blown where they were like, oh, my God, I can't believe that they did all that in one episode. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether it follows the the kind of uh, Sopranos 
path or the wire path um, where things happen, like the wire, especially things happen in the penultimate episode. Uh, and this final episode is sort of like unraveling everything that happened in the penultimate episode. So whereas Breaking Bad kind of had the, the big climaxes narratively at the end of season. So uh, this could go either way. We could we could have wrapped everything up here or we could go to a much darker place next episode. Okay. Uh, this is from Riot Maker who says, uh, Trevor, 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 will this guy be as crazy as GTA's versus uh, GTA 5's character? Is that right? Yeah, this uh, the guy Michael. The guy I think his name is Michael Mando, who plays uh, who plays Nacho, plays Trevor in GTA Five. Uh, I I think the sky's the limit for this guy. I, the more we see a Nacho, the better. Okay, uh, this is from Dean. Dean Arada says, uh, "Is HHM the only game in town? Couldn't Jimmy just hand the case to another law firm?" I think that's a fair question. Uh, I don't know. I mean, HHM seems to be the big game in town. They were the ones competing for the Kettleman's. They get all the big name clients. Uh, so it certainly seems like the firm that's most uh, capable of handling this. Well, it didn't come up on the episode this week, but did using the, what is it, LexisNexis, the uh, the research from using Chuck's number, did that sort of tie in or at least make it sticky to try to go to another law firm at this point? Maybe a little bit. Maybe because of Chuck's involvement, generally speaking, because Chuck was really involved from the jump. Uh, and involved in the negotiations, and so it's just a matter of buying Jimmy out a little bit. Uh, so maybe the Chuck involvement was a was a reason that couldn't go to another firm. Okay, all right. Uh, here is a question. This is from uh, General Snape. Uh, can you t- get this one, Antonio? Yeah, General Snape says, "Didn't the producers state that they were going to give Hamlin an edit that didn't make him look good or bad? But they assumed the people would think he was the antagonist." His refusal to welcome Jimmy seems like a bad edit to me. Are we talking about edits? Did Hamlin get the winner edit? He got the winner edit. Yeah, I think he got the fake out edit that we thought he was the villain, but maybe it turns out it was Chuck. Yeah, and and I understand. I understand General Snape's point is that is that no matter what, it seems like he still seems like that he's a bad guy. But General Snape, I would I would say just kind of look back to the other things we know about Hamlin uh, in that, especially that scene in the mailroom. Even though he ate the cake, um, I think that he's carrying water, like I said, for for Chuck at that point. He seems, he seems to have done a lot in, in loyalty to Chuck, a lot more uh, than we've seen out of anybody except Jimmy. So I don't think that Hamlin's ultimately as bad of a guy as we made him out to me. It just happens that they've they've cast an actor who's doing a really good job of coming off like a douche. <laughs> yeah, he does look like sort of 80s movie villain uh, kind of guy. Yeah, he looks like the guy that was like a Cobra Kai or whatever. Like he just kind of yeah, fought the Karate Kid or something and grew up and was an evil lawyer. Okay, let's do a couple more questions here. For Better Call Saul. Uh, Jason is back to say, apart from the Mike Origin episode, I have to say this one was the best Jimmy-centric episode yet. Will you co-sign that, Antonio? I I would co-sign that because I think that uh, I think that this was just a great monologue for Bob Odenkirk. I think he knocked it out of the park in that final scene. And I think the sort of realization on Jimmy's part uh, of everything that kind of came together, I thought that that was a a really, really good scene. I also thought the scene where he kind of told Hamlin off uh, was great simmering anger. He was almost crying in that scene. Yeah. He's very good Uh, tonight. So, so good. So that was, that was excellent stuff. Uh, Rob, this one's from Jordan Zielinski and Jordan says, do you think the fight with Chuck is the turning point for Jimmy becoming Saul with them at odds? Would Jimmy even care about being a McGill? Hmm. I don't know if that's the inciting incident, right? I feel like we're probably going to get a 
bigger. Like, I feel like this is big, but maybe not the ultimate. Yeah, I mean, I do agree uh, with Jordan here that um, that the name McGill probably is not something Jimmy's going to feel as proud of anymore. And so maybe this is the incident uh, for him getting rid of the name McGill. Uh, and, and so in that regard, becoming stall. Um, but in terms of like getting to darkness, I think we're going to see him start down that path next episode. But I don't think he's going to go full Goodman right away. All right. One last question. Uh, this is from Goat Girl, who says, I love the Jimmy slash Saul storylines. Have you considered that Jimmy is Jesse always trying to do the right thing and getting screwed? That's a really that's a good observation by Goat Girl. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and I don't you think she knows Big Tom, Rob. Maybe but that Maybe. is possible. Maybe. But uh, I think that's a really good observation. Does, but who does that make Walter White? Does that make uh, Chuck Walter White? Price. Um, Nick's Price, Walter White. Yes. You still like it? I like I like Craig Kettleman, or I like Betsy Kettleman as Walter White. Mm, wow. Uh, I mean, I like Betsy Kettleman as anything, to be fair. Yeah. Um, I would say, no. I mean, I think this is a really good observation, that Jimmy is Jesse, always trying to do the right thing and getting screwed. I think that, uh, I think that that is not the Saul Goodman that we meet. Uh, when we meet Saul Goodman, but I do like the idea that that's the Jimmy McGill that we've 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 known right now. That he's kind of uh, he he's using humor a lot, you know. To Jim, it gets pretty dark for Jesse pretty quick, uh, and J- Jesse gets into some heavy substance abuse issues, and it doesn't take more than two seasons for that to really pop off. He's already kind of involved at the beginning of the series, so they are different people. But I think that comparison's a good one. All right, Antonio. One week from tonight. Better Call Saul. Season one finale. It's happening. My mind is blown, Rob. My mind is blown. Yes, Atomic. And that's it. Then probably no Better Call Saul again until what? February was when it started? I think that's about right. Yep. I think February. Oh, my God. Okay. What a week on AMC. Who are we going to call instead? What a week. Really? uh, They had a Walking walking Dead finale. Uh, They had a Better Call Saul finale. Eight days later, a Mad Men premiere. Game of Thrones. Yes. Well, that's and no, that's not even on it. Uh, that's uh, going to other networks. So much happening oh, yeah. on post show. That's just on post show recaps. I know. We've, there's a lot going on, Rob. I don't know what to make of it all. There's a lot going on. Antonio. And then one week or is it one week from from Tuesday or two weeks from Tuesday is the Justified finale. Uh, it's two weeks from Tuesday. Oh, my God. It's all happening, Antonio. It's a, I, it feels like I don't know. It feels like the I don't know, like the end of a TV season almost. Yeah, or the beginning of a new one. This uh, this world we live in, Rob. It's amazing. Yeah, what a country. So it used to be May sweeps, and now it's just sweeps all the time. Now every yes, now everything is uh, sweep the leg with the Hamlin. Yes, it is Cobra Kai. Yes. All right. So Antonio, uh, great job tonight. Uh, for a hashtag, you okay with uh, most valuable pimento? That's what I was going to suggest. <laughs> I was sitting on a most valuable pimento. Great. All right. So let's go with that. That's the hashtag for the episode. We are looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say in the comments. Uh, thanks, everybody, who joined us here for the live show here on Better Call Saul uh, Live. We will be back after the season finale next Monday night. I believe it's a regular-sized episode, correct? I think so, yeah. Okay, so after next week's episode, we will be here to recap everything from Better Call Saul and, of course, also uh, all things Better Call Saul Season 1, one week from tonight, next Monday. going to be a lot of fun. Uh, thanks so much, Scott St. Pierre, for uh, all the stuff behind the scenes tonight. And uh, Antonio, we'll be back uh, next week. Looking forward to it, Rob. All right. Take care, everybody.